0: This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Sayulita.com. For more information, visit Sayulita.com. And by listeners like you. Visit PriorityOnePodcast.com for more information on how you can continue to support our
1: networks. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secure Channel.
2: Your hosts.
0: Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 163 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded Thursday, February 27th, 2014, live on trekradio.net, and available for download or streaming on Monday mornings at priorityonepodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. Well, captains, we have a very special announcement this week. We introduce to you two new members of the Priority One team: Cookie Cupcakes and Jace. Woo! Woo!
2: Yes.
0: Welcome, captains. As Tony focuses on developing our sister podcast, Guard Frequency, uh, Cookie and Jace will be joining us weekly to bring you Stone News just the way you've grown to expect from Priority One. So again. Guys, welcome to the team.
2: I really like the way you say cookie.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah. Like aficionado. It's very forceful. It's like, <laughs> sounds,
2: <Cookie>. yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, Jace, tell us what we have in store this week. Certainly. Captains this week, Elijah and Priority One's community manager, Adrienne, interview the creator of a new independent film project entitled Star Trek Axanar. Then we check out the latest Stowe news and review some new features coming to Star Trek online. Including the increased storage slots available to players, some patch notes, and the long awaited reboot of the Galaxy Class Starship. And of course, as always, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners.
2: Captains, Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. We are all volunteers. And we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, hosting fees, or to alleviate travel expenses when we cover conventions on location, like Star Trek Las Vegas!
4: <laughs>
2: a very special thanks to everyone who has already contributed and continues to do so on a recurring basis. Without your ongoing support, we would not be able to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy from Priority One Podcasts.
3: Captains, don't forget that PriorityOnePodcast.com offers more than just podcasts. This week, Chivalry Bean puts his reviews on paper and presents his written review of the Foundry mission Hero of the Empire by Rogue Enterprise. Check out the blog and more only on PriorityOnePodcast.com.
0: And lastly, Captains, before we move on with the show, we invite you to keep an eye on our social media platforms like Facebook.com forward slash Podcast or on Twitter, at STO priority one We're hoping that every Sunday evening around 9 p.m. Eastern, we'll be taking to Twitch.tv for live playthroughs of Star Trek Online, hosted by the cast and crew of Priority One Podcast and the Priority One Fleet. Subscribe to our channel right now at twitch.tv forward slash Priority One.
2: Well, Captains, let's get ready to check it out. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. This week,
0: Priority One's community manager Adrienne and I trek out Star Trek Axonar with the film project's writer and producer, Alec Peters. Alec, thank you so much for joining us here on Priority One Podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me. Yes, welcome to the show. No, yeah, it's excited. I always love the podcast. Because you guys all, all we're all the same. We're all geeks, and we all love Star Trek. So it's so much fun actually being able to sit down and set some time aside just to talk about Star Trek with your friends. It
4: is. Then thank you so much. So tell us about yourself.
1: Well, um, uh, I am. I, I have been a Star Trek geek for a very long time, long enough that I actually saw Star Trek when it was on. Uh, at NBC and its very first run I was a very 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 little child but I do remember it and uh, as I always tell everyone um, when the third season of Star Trek came around and they moved it to 10 o'clock on Friday nights that was way past my bedtime mm. and my mom would put me to bed uh, at, at like 8 o'clock wake me up let me watch Star Trek and then put me back to bed so um, that kind of sealed my uh, that sealed my role as a Star Trek geek and, and certainly earned my mother a place in heaven
4: Oh, that's wonderful <laughs> yeah, so, that's
1: amazing so i've been a star trek fan for a long time uh, and uh i live out here in in, su- in, in uh, s- uh, sunny southern california i'm originally from new york i've o- have always had a-, a love for star trek and uh now it's it's this is a dream project that i'm working on in axonar and uh so it's fun to be able to do what you love doing and uh i, I wish i could say and making money at it but uh, <laughs> I- i'm we're not of course um but uh, nonetheless, it's uh, working on a Star Trek project, a uh, film, is is a dream come true.
4: Now, is this the first project that you ever uh, produced that was Star Trek-related?
1: Um, not really. Um, the, the way Axonar started was um, I have a company called PropWorks, and we did the um, prop and costume auctions for Battlestar Galactica and Stargate, and we did a Star Trek one, Kevin Smith, Iron Man, Iron Man 2. And a- anyway, we had um, – we actually uh, – Um, had a chair the stand-in chair that was made for trials and tribulations the deep space nine episode it it needed to be restored and i was talking to james cawley this is in in 2010 and um because he was helping me with the button arrangements uh make so we knew that they were accurate and uh i just happened to mention to him knowing that he's you know he used to work for bill tice uh the Mm. legendary star trek costume designer yeah and i said to him um and he knew i collected star trek props and costumes i said you know uh james i just got my holy grail i said i got garth of izar's original costume stevie natts costume is garth of izar and he was like oh my god that's amazing and we started talking about garth of izar and what a great character he was and how we we wanted to know what was the history of this this guy and um and james said yeah, i knew all about phase 2 and uh, he said to me, he said, you know, we're doing this episode called um, Origins, which is about Kirk at the Academy. He said, and that's the time that Garth was, uh, was big and, and we should write him into the script. And uh, he said – and I said, yeah, you absolutely should do that. And he said, well, you need to come play him. And I, I was like, well, wow, that's very cool. OK, deal. And so I went and played him. And it's a very short scene and unfortunately the, the episode is, has never been finished but it's a funny scene in which Garth and this Admiral are looking out over the Kobayashi Maru simulator, watching Kirk blow up and, uh, you know, and totally uh, destroy the simulator. And, um, and the Admiral just thinks this kid's going to wash out. And, and Garth's like, oh, I like this kid. <laughs> and it, it's a funny little scene, which I have. On, I believe I have it on the actually, Our Facebook page while we were shooting that. James and I were talking over lunch one day, and I told him that I had written this story about Garth years ago and and how I wanted to tell the story. And he said, "Well, you should write a script." And um, it led me to uh, uh, taking a screenwriting class with Robert McKee, the godfather of of, of screenwriters.
4: Mm. And
1: uh, I'm a pretty good writer in the first place. And I wrote th- th- I've over the past three years, I've written this script. And started about a year and a half ago, started the, work, the other work on it. And uh, then this past, then uh, I guess it was a year and a half ago, I again played Garth in the Phase 2 vignette Going Boldly, which introduced the new Captain Kirk, Brian Gross, and the new Enterprise to Star Trek Phase 2. And it was nice, but James said, hey, why don't you come play Garth after he's been rehabilitated? After, I said, what, what a great idea. So we, we shot that. And that kind of catapulted me into, uh, you know, going to acting school. And I had been in, I'd done acting uh, twenty years ago. And actually, Richard Hatch was my first acting coach. But uh, now I was really into it, and I started um, taking taking acting classes out here with the top acting schools in Hollywood. And I just really they ramped it up. And Richard signed on board, and um, so it's really been wonderful to to uh, phase 2 really got got me going in that regard and i've since worked as a producer for them just because i'm an entrepreneur but you know i, I i'm one of those serial entrepreneurs who builds companies and producing is a lot like building a company so they tap my talents and i've uh, i've produced uh, a couple episodes for them and uh, we just finished releasing kutumba for them and uh, i produce i Basically, that episode was languishing. No one could post, uh, post it. I got all, all the footage from James and, and got my post-production supervisor for Axanar, and we took six weeks and we re-edited it, did sound design, did the whole nine yards, and we uh, and were able to release it. So uh, so Katumba and the upcoming uh, Holiest Thing and uh, – what was the episode before that? Uh, what other? I've, so there's been three episodes I've worked on a producer for them.
4: Wow, that's amazing!
1: <laughs>
0: now y- you mentioned that the first iteration of the story came about uh, several years ago. What was it about that TOS episode, uh, which is uh, "Whom Gods Destroy"? What is it about that episode that that rung out to you?
1: Well, th- there it's funny. I, I there's four times in that episode where you learn something about Garth's history. Um, Kirk beams down, and he says. Uh, and there and he finds out that, that Garth is an inmate. You know, uh, Donald Cory right. really shows him the, and says, Oh, our latest inmate, Garth of Izar. And and you see Kirk, and Kirk's taken aback, and he said, He was my hero at the academy. He, you know, I, you know, I read his book. And so there's that. And then there's this this scene where there, there's this mock coronation, and and Kirk tells says to, to him that, you know, talks about what he accomplished. And basically they set it up that you know, although it's been retcon, basically, Kirk basically says that your victory, Axonar, built the Federation. He says that, and we know that's not really the case, but he says that it's obviously very, very important to the Federation. And then there's a scene later where he confronts Kirk, Kirk confronts him in the, in the transporter room, and Kirk's trying to get through to him through his insanity and, and says, You know, he says, uh, You were the role model. For us all the, the finest student at the academy um and uh and there's a, gl- a little a moment where he says garth says yes and 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 it was a great honor and one i was proud proud to bear a- and so you start to see him and then of course he snaps back he becomes a, he goes back to the crazy insane right. <laughs> lord garth but then at the end of the episode after he's the, – the medicine is administered and he starts coming back, you start to – you see these little glimpses of this noble captain who – you know, he was the greatest starship captain before Kirk. He charted more galaxies than any starship captain. And you, you slowly see this and he's, he's – you can tell he doesn't have all his faculties but he's starting to come to. And, and then there's that line where he stops and he turns to Kirk and he says, mm-hmm. should I know you, sir? Right. And Kirk says, no, no, Captain. And I was, oh, it sends chills up my spine just telling you about that. Scene. I Ah, mean, uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> so, I'm, it's, it, so I don't know what it is I, about me, but I see the noble, great starship captain that he was. And I always wanted to know the, his story. And so I, I wrote the first Garth story, the beginnings of the first Garth story like 20 years ago when I was in law school and took another crack at it you know, a few years later. And I still, ironically, I still have the original pages that I wrote on, um, at which I won't read because it's so awful. But I, uh, and so when, when James gave me this kind of green light, I said, okay, let's write a treatment. And I wrote a treatment, and a treatment, you know, it was about 20 pages and I wrote it and I sent it to Marco Palmieri, the former editor for Star Trek books for Pocket Books. And um, who most a lot of people know who read all the Star Trek books. He was the editor and and he's highly regarded. I said, look, Marco, he was a Facebook friend. I said, can you read this? And he read it and he gave me this amazing feedback and he said, I love it. But here's here's you know, he says, the one thing you're missing is a great arc for Garth. He says, you've told a great story about the war, but you haven't told me a great story about Garth. I said, oh, wow. Yeah. And he said, look at the great Star Trek pilots. He said, "Look at the cage, number one, emissary number two. He said, "Voyager to a lesser extent, but still a good good arc for Janeway." He says, "Those are the the best Star Trek pilots because they have great arcs for their captains." And I said, "Oh, I get it, I, I get it." And so I went back and I and I and then I started writing the script with that in mind. I finished the first three acts in about six months. The, the last act, which is the battle of Axanar uh, took me about a year because I was doing a lot of research because we wanted to make it I wanted to make it so really unique and different and now I have a um, and so this past summer when the script was finished I was at phase two we were we were producing the holiest thing which will be out here in a few months and um, David Gerald is the new showrunner for for Star Trek phase two basically think exec think producer who's in charge of all the creative so he, come, he came up to me and he knew about Axonar, and, and we're in the green room and he comes up to me and says I want to read your script. And, and I'm friendly with David. I've known him now f- since 2010 when he was directing Origins. And um, I said, okay. I said, but David, it is a war story, not a Star Trek story. I said, it's a war story set in the Star Trek universe. It's not doesn't read like a Star Trek story. He said, that's okay. I love, I love war stories. I said, oh, okay, cool. And if anyone follows David on facebook you know he's a bit of a curmudgeon love him to death but he's he and he'll admit he's you know he'll always joke about that so i was i was really worried what he was going to say and he comes back the next day and he says uh same place we're in the green room lunchtime he goes walks up to me and he goes i read your script and he says this in front of everybody and i'm thinking oh my god i'm so screwed and he says i like it he says i like it a lot in fact, it's almost ready to film. And I was like, wow. Wow. And that works. talk about the good housekeeping seal of approval.
4: That's huge.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, I was really, and then he took, and then we went outside and he said, I got notes for you. I said, great, and I love feedback. I'm like, let's go. And we walk outside and he just starts, and I've got my little iPhone and I'm on the notepad type and he's giving me notes. And his notes were amazing because he really does like war films. And he's like, okay, I want you to go watch Run Silent, Run Deep, and the enemy blowed because, and he starts telling me the reasons why. And then he says, and then you need to watch this because, and and he starts giving me these notes on the, the, you know, the few things he thinks will make it a better story, and, and which were all really Minor, but they were really good insights. So it's been great having David. Uh, you know, he's now a, a story consultant on axonar R, and um, I consider him a good friend. Um, I, 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 he's awesome, and uh, so yeah. So that's kind of how we wrote uh, wrote it. And now uh, Christian Gossett, who's my director, who uh, anyone who's a comic fan knows him from the Red Star. Uh, Christian Gossett is a, is a really I, I just he's a good friend of mine. I've been friend for a dozen years and he's a very talented visual artist. Uh, he's the director, and he and I have gone through the script now, through the first three acts, and revising it with his revisions. And it's great because we work great together, and um, we've added some wonderful stuff to the script as well.
4: Sounds like it's a perfect team and, and a perfect story. Uh, really excited to see it, too.
0: So exciting to hear that 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 uh, Mr. Gerald had the opportunity of reviewing the script and, and to get feedback. Like you said, it, it's, it you get that seal of approval that from somebody that has been in the trenches of Star Trek for so
1: long. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, is there anyone I, better th- to read your script and help you with it than David? Because, uh, you know, he is he, – he, he was – he's just – he loves those characters. He's a Trekkie. He loves Star Trek. You know? And, uh, and it's, he's, he's great. It's, 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 I mean the fact that David Gerald will come on to Star Trek Phase 2 as a producer – you know, and, 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 and put them, you know, be put in charge of the creative process. Wow. I mean, how cool is that?
4: This is awesome. And having a, having a, a war uh, pro or, or, you know, somebody who's really into that aspect is going to help it tremendously since that's your focus.
1: Yes, because remember, you, you don't, I say we're telling a war story. The best war stories are personal stories, right? Saving Private Ryan.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Stories set in the war. Patton. One of the greatest war movies of all time is a personal story. He happens to be a general in the war, but it's about Patton, you know. And then there are your other your, as I call them, the procedurals, which like Midway, which is right after Patton is my favorite war movie because uh, just because of the scope. And Christian and I have both both loved that movie, and and so there's a lot we've taken from that.
4: What can you tell us about the story? What, what are you allowed to tell at this point?
1: Well, I'll tell you a lot about it. So it's the story of Garth of Isar and the Battle of Axanar. It takes place in the year 2245, which for you geeks who are keeping track, is 21 years before the first season of uh, Star Trek, the original series, um, eight years before uh, The Cage. Um, and it is the year of the launch of the USS Enterprise NCC-1701. We, the, the story is mostly characters you've never seen before um i say mostly because we see we uh, robert april is a key character in this the first captain of the enterprise and so and the other character that we see that you're familiar with is Saval, the vulcan ambassador from enterprise who had, in our story 80 years later is at the end of his career and he's passing the role as as vulcan ambassador of the federation off to sarek um, who you will see, but doesn't have any lines in in our in our story. And we we are unbelievably fortunate to have Michael Hogan uh, play uh, Robert April. Michael Hogan, of course, was Colonel Ty in the re- reimagined Battlestar Galactica. Um, he was the first choice I had in mind from the ro- when I was writing this script. I was like Michael Hogan.
0: I gotta you know. tell you, I was so excited to see that he's in this project. That Colonel Ty, I mean that the whole Battlestar Galactica series is one of my favorite sci-fi series, but his character and his, his portrayal of that character is so great. I was so excited to see him.
1: Thanks. And, and yes, uh, because he's my favorite character in Battlestar as well, because <laughs> ironically he's a Cylon and he's the most human person uh, on board. Yeah. He's the yeah. one who stands by the humans and says, I, I don't care. I'm a Cylon. I, this is, I am Saul Tye. So, um, and, and so anyway, I, and I know Michael because he came to both the Battlestar Galactica auctions I put on uh, for, for NBC. Uh, and the other is, if, if you remember from the, the counterclock incident in the animated Star Trek, uh, his wife was his chief medical officer. And if you n- know about Battlestar, his wife is an actress. Michael Hogan's wife, Susan Hogan, was the, the chief justice in the trial of Baltar in season three. And so no I, that,
0: that is trivia I did not know. That's cool.
1: Yeah. So I told him this and I said, look, I don't know if you're interested, but April's wife served as a chief medical officer and I, I'd love, love to write your wife in if you're interested. And he loved the idea. So now we've written his wife into Axonar. I just finished writing those seasons last night. As a matter of fact, they're not big, but you know, it, they add it's a nice, really nice touch. And then I, I'm write, go, going to be writing her into Prelude to Axanar as well. Um, so back to the story. So the story is about it's the it's how did we get to this final battle, the Battle of Axonar, where where Garth defeats the the, the Klingons. Of course, we don't know it's the Klingons in whom God's destroy. We're simply positing that. And what we we've done is we've combined that battle with the Klingon four year war. From the old FASA role-playing games of the 80s and 90s, uh, if, if you're familiar with those, which were huge back at the time. And um, they, they talked about this four years war with the Klingon and there was all this backstory, and I loved that. So I'm giving the, the, the FASA role-playing games a nod and saying, OK, this is the four years war. Uh, Garth is, is the focal point. He's, he's making a name for himself. And, and how did we get to this point? And, I, and so the, some of the central points are there's an arms race going on. And that arms race is which side's going to build their dreadnought the first? The dreadnought being, in this case, the Constitution class for the Federation and the Klingon D7 for the Klingons. So each side is racing who's going to get their dreadnought in the war first and turn the tide of the war. So that's really important. And then we, we have the relationship between Garth and Captain April. So April's his mentor, April was his first captain. So there's that relationship there and then there's this Klingon general, Karn, played by Richard Hatch, and we wanted to tell his story and not make him a caricature. We didn't want Kor or Chang uh, or any of the, you know, or Duras or any of those guys, or uh, or even Garon. I wanted someone that was much more like Kang in Day of the Dove, someone who was noble and, and distinguished, who was a samurai. That's that you know, my idea was Kang crossed with Katsumoto from The Last Samurai, crossed mm. with cross with uh, uh, Toshiro Mifune as, as Yamamoto in Midway. Those are like my role models. I said these are the three guys. This is who Karn is. He's the distinguished leader of the of the Klingon em, uh, Empire's military. He's uh, a, a warrior from the old school. He's not over the top and twirling his mustache and evil laughs like core i always say say but he's 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 reserved and he's quiet and he just demands respect by his presence i wanted someone like that and richard loved it richard hatch loved it and we've really been developing karn over the past year with richard um because richard bought into uh, axonar so early um, he was my first casting because he was my old acting coach from 20 years ago. He, he, was, he was my first cast. And at the time, I had like no lines for Karn. And so we've been working together and I feed him stuff. I say, OK, this is what I think. And he goes, I like that. And how about this? And that him and Christian and I have been crafting this great Klingon. I, I can't even call him a villain. He's the, he's the antagonist, but uh, he, he's someone you will really come to respect in this movie.
4: Well, those some of the, those are some of the best antagonists, though, are ones that just have such a rich um, motivation and sense of self. They they feel like they could be the protagonist in another scenario.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Because every antagonist thinks he's a good guy. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's right, and and uh, you know, it's all a matter of perspective. So now that you have a solid story, let's
0: talk about funding. How can fans contribute to this project?
1: So the first thing we're doing as as we started. Um, working on how are we going to fund this. What, we knew what the budget is. Right, I know what the budget is both y- with using the sets of Star Trek Phase 2 and modifying them for our, our interiors and then what is the budget if we de- build it all ourselves out here in Southern California. Um, so we, we have that, nu- that number in mind and we said well you know what we're going to need to do? We, we need to have just an amazing Kickstarter video because looking at Star Trek Renegades they raised $242,000 on their Kickstarter then they went out and raised another, hundred and thirty something thousand dollars on an Indiegogo. They did it all on one video, and it was that video of of Walter Koenig as as, as Chekhov and Tim Russ as as Tuvok, and it was just a real simple video. Is one shots of the two of those guys, and but you were like, oh, it's Star Trek, it's it's Tuvok and Chekhov, and they're in uniform, and okay, I'll give them money. So we knew we needed something like that, and uh, so. I came up with this idea for Prelude to Axanar, and I said, why don't we make a History Channel documentary on the war, with the characters talking about everything that led up to Axanar? I said, that, how and I pitched Christian, and he lost he lost his mind, he thought it was most, uh, and then I talk, told J.G. Hertzler, and he was like, oh my god, that's amazing. And I was like, okay, we're onto something here, and I wrote the script in a day, and uh, and and then we were like, "Well, this is going to be great," and and we were we started working on. I was like, "Well, it's going to be. We have to do makeup for for Richard and and for Gary Graham, and we have to do that." I was like, "Okay, this is going to cost us fifteen thousand dollars." I was like, "Let's do a Kickstarter for the Kickstarter video." Yeah. <laughs> so I said, "Let's let, let's listen. I'm an entrepreneur. I, I I have done this before. Let's do a proof of concept." I said, "Prelude to is A proof of concept. We're going to go out. We're going to raise ten to fifteen thousand dollars." Which I think is going to be easy, and because we got so many fans who are just so excited about Axonar, I said then we are going to take that money and we are going to knock it out of the park on Prelude to Axonar, and that will get us the somewhere between a hundred and fifty and two hundred fifty thousand dollars we're going to need to to make Axonar, and so that's the plan right now. So right now, as a, as a, I believe this is airing uh, um, on March third, we are two days into our Kickstarter. Um, understanding that we recorded this a week ago, I don't know where we are, but uh, if you go to Kickstarter and go and search Star Trek Axanar A X A N A R, you'll find our Kickstarter and watch our amazing little Kickstarter video we did for this. That will tell you a little bit about what we're doing and who we're doing it with, and uh, and you'll get an idea for what we're trying to achieve. And we don't use the F word, fan film. I <laughs> think we tend to think that we're we're trying to accomplish. Uh, something else. We're trying to be a a truly professional feature. And uh, who knows if we'll accomplish it. We think we will. But that's our goal. We're setting our sights ridiculously high.
0: I'm really excited about the way that you're telling the story in this documentary format. Uh, I was actually a big Halo fan on the Xbox of of that video game. And one of the things that they did to promote uh, one of their sequels to the game was to tell this story, this, this documentary story, filming people who were part of this great war when when these aliens invaded. And I got to tell you, it was just, you were just sucked right in if you were a fan of, of that Halo series. To have Star Trek, have a story told in this type of format is really, really exciting. I cannot wait to see it because we are used to the standard canon format of what we've seen on television, what we've seen in the films, and to hear a war story told in the way that you are sounds so refreshing so absolutely refreshing and with such an amazing cast of, of characters and then the talent behind it of, of sci-fi actors who have played roles in this fashion before and I'm really really looking forward to this, this direction that you're taking I mean the video in and of itself says so much about the quality that this production is going to have those hero shots of those ships flying through space the lighting the textures I'm telling you it, vi- it rivals jj's
1: star trek well thank you um i, I will pass that on to tobias uh, tobias richter our our uh our visual effects genius who does all our, our, of it um yes he did the 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 one you saw where the uh, Air, uss aries starship is chasing the klingon ship through the asteroid field he did last summer for me and uh he said oh i did this little thing for you for your kickstarter and uh, i love it and um the other thing about
0: I, that I, – I, I love how you said that he said, I did this little thing for you. I mean that is a, an amazing <laughs> shot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes,
1: yeah, the great – I'll just tell the great story. Of when I pitched um, Tobias uh, almost two years ago now, the summer of 2012, when I was up there, we were shooting Bread and Savagery uh, at phase two. And uh, I, I, I gave him the script in the morning. And he comes up to me on location and like at lunchtime, he's like, oh, I read your script in his nice, heavy accented German, uh, English. And I uh, I was like, wow, already? He says, oh, I love it. He goes, it's starship porn. <laughs> and, and, and I laughed and I said, well, yeah, it, it is. Um, so, so just to, so I'm clear with the audience, there's two stories we're telling. One is a short film, Prelude to Action and that is the uh, – that will be about 20 minutes or so. We'll see, give or take 10 minutes. Uh, it will be 20, 25 minutes. And that is the, the going to be shot like a History Channel special. And it will give you the history of the war because Axanar, the full-length feature, which will be about 90 minutes, that will be um, about the last month of the war. This is the last month of the war. This is what happened that ended it. Um, so – Prelude will fill in the other three years of uh, three and a half years of the war in a way that'll be interesting and tell you great things. I mean, there's great geeky things we, we tell you about that, that people are grown like, how did Starfleet develop all these ships in war? You know, it's only 85 years after the founding of the Federation, 84 years after the founding of the Federation. So what was it like for the Federation? And um, and, and, and we, so we tell you all this great backstory in a way that, like you said, hasn't been told before. And then we get into Axanar, and Axanar, our charge with Axanar is to make a a Star Trek movie that looks like it belongs in the theaters today. We're not doing the whole retro thing that Phase 2 and Continues and all every other fan film does where they try and replicate the 60s. God bless them. I love It looks great. I love Star Trek, but we're not trying to do that we're trying to give you a modern movie take on original Star Trek and that includes all the sets really need to be 20 years it's 20 years before TOS what did what did the ships look like 20 years before TOS um, you know JJ had his vision which was the USS Kelvin which we like some things about it and and, and you know there, there's a lot there, there's some interesting things there um, but we're going to show you a whole new design aesthetic and that but shoot it. Cinematically, like you'll see any movie today shot. Really interesting camera angles and, and motion, and just really, you know, we're going to be shooting on Red Epic. It's going to be, uh, you know, amazing. So um, that's kind of w- what we're shooting for.
0: So the bridge of the ships. That you know, we're not fans should not expect to see that. You know, the old consoles. This is going to be a
1: a, a reimagining almost. You know, I, I hesitate. It, it will look in continuity. Okay. Uh, it, it will. You know, we've. If anyone who's been following our Facebook page, and if you're not, you should be following our Facebook page. I am putting up concept art all the time. Um, we, I put up a couple days ago. I put up two different captain's chairs. Said, which one do you like? And and everyone chimed in and said, we want every. Almost everyone want the left, the one on the left. Um, so we. I'm constantly throwing stuff up there to get the fans. To understand where we're coming from because i'm as big a geek as anyone and the design aesthetic this is the most difficult part of this film you know you've got basically the the reference points we have are what does the enterprise look like in in 2266 the first season of, of 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 star trek all right and then we we know a little before that we know eight years earlier technically what the the um i'm sorry 13 years earlier what the enterprise looked like in the cage what, eight years, what, what did a ship look like eight years before the, 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 that? And that wasn't the Enterprise. So it's a different generation of ships, right? The generation of ships before the Enterprise. And um, you have to take into account that Star Trek, the original series, is a almost 50-year-old vision of the future, right? Right. It, it's from 1960, the nineteen sixty five nineteen sixty six. Um, you could make an argument that the cage was even more steeped in '50s sci-fi than '60s, you know. And but anyway, so ne- so what you have to do is say, okay, let's look at it. We're, we're making a modern movie, you know. We're filming this in 2014. What is our take going to look like? And our take is not JJ's Apple Store bridge. Our take is much closer to what the a cross between the Kelvin and and the Cage Enterprise, right? There you have to say you have to stick to certain standards and the bridge, right? The round bridge. It's going to look like a like a a, a, you're going to look at in your first view of the bridge. You're going to say, well, that's an original series bridge, and then you're going to look a little closer and go, well, wait a second. There's no red in that bridge. Because remember in the cage there was no red in the in the bridge because they weren't using red then the, the the railings black the the doors are gray the, you know so the color palette's different and the chairs are different and oh wait the panels are the buttons are square not round but so it, but it's going to seat you firmly and you're going to go this is Star Trek I get it it's not Next Generation era this is TOS era and it's it's twenty years before TOS and that has been the greatest challenge. Is is to be able to effectively communicate that. Um, I think JJ did that a little bit with the Kelvin, with the Kelvin Bridge. Um, certainly, the rest of the Kelvin, you know, it's it's all old and rusted. It looks like, um, and that's what we're going for. So, go to our Facebook page; you'll see just gads and gads of of concept art, and I love sharing that with the fans because uh, that's what I love seeing.
0: Now, for for those uh, that may be thinking this question is it jj verse or is it prime universe technically it doesn't matter because jj's universe started at the time that the, the narada went back in time so this is this is untouched
1: universe star trek universe so this is the prime timeline right, right. and it's the prime timeline because richard Rabao is alive in our in our in Axnar, right and if i can get Ferran to here to reprise his role as Rabao, he will be one of the squadron commanders in uh, in the Battle of Axnar. Um, it's a little dream casting. I'm, I'm I'm reaching pretty high for for him because he's pretty hot right now. He's on on everything, but um, we, I really really want him. Um, and because uh, I think it'd just be cool for you look around the table and and in my script, Rabao is one of Garth's good friends. I mean, they're all. You know, the, uh, as I say, in, in Axonar, one of the biggest differences in Axanar is um, that our captains all kick ass. You know, there's no, there's there's no Styles or JT Esteban or Harriman or you name the 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 wimpy captains we've seen in Starfleet. Uh, as I always say, those guys are all dead. Because this is war, right? And so, at the end of four years of war, your biggest badasses are the are the captains that are commanding your squadron. Your, your you know, the, the squadrons of of Starfleet ships. So, um, and in my mind, Rabao was one of those guys. Rabao was the first captain I saw outside of Kirk that you were like, "Oh my god, that guy kicks ass!" Or Cisco when he went bald, right? <laughs> You're like, those guys, those guys kick ass. That's what I want to see. So, yeah, so, so we wrote about – so, yes, it is prime timeline. Um, you know, as, as I think 90 percent of us hardcore Star Trek fans are, I kind of ignore the J.J. universe. <laughs> I, um, I watch the movies and uh, I, I, this is – I'm sure we don't have the three hours to talk about that. But um, <laughs> I, it, is meant, it is prime timeline. It is meant to be um, you know, in continuity with both the Kelvin before the Narada shows up and, uh, and, and, and T.O.S.,
4: so tell us if this is a one-shot fan film or if this is a, a pitch film with the intent to turn it into a series. What are you hoping with this? What, what would you like to do with this?
1: Well, um, first I have to say you know, I've been hearing a lot lately that, oh, this is a – you know fan films have been saying, oh, we're a pilot. We're going to pitch CBS. And my attitude is, no, you're not. <laughs> OK? CBS doesn't want to see your fan film. I don't care how good it is. Um, they don't want to see my fan film. They, they, I, I worked with CBS as an archivist working on, uh, on, on the Star Trek archive for a little while. And I've talked to lots of people within CBS. Um, and I will tell you flat out, they will never, ever do anything with Star Trek fan films. I uh, actually had a meeting with a, one of the um, – or a phone call with one of the top guys in, in CBS uh, talking about could we get fan films on the Star Trek.com page could they just show you know could they have links to them and could we and he said to me he said "Alec it would literally take the the CEO of CBS and the CEO of Paramount sitting in a room together just talking about Star Trek fan films in order to do anything with Star Trek fan films." He said that the the contracts and the, and the the legalities are so convoluted after 50 years that and the unions that are involved and the screen actors guild and the director and this he said you cannot do anything you know willy-nilly with with star trek and i he said look we love it you know we love it they're they're great and all but so so when i hear this fan film or this fan oh we're we're a pilot we're gonna pitch cbs I, i just like you know you're i just feel that's a little deceptive because you're not a pilot you're you're a pilot for your own series great you know and so if Axnar just knocks it out of the park, would we turn it into a series? Yeah, maybe we would. I mean, I I, I really haven't thought that far because if I make Axnar, and it's as good as I hope it is, you know, I can probably die happy. It was, it's my dream project, and I want to tell this story. If the fans think it's worthy enough that they'll fund a, a series out of it, God bless them all. We'll do it. But that's not in the plans. You know. It's it's not even – that's the future. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds? Okay.
4: Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's cool. Um, the uh, As far as the pinch film thing goes, then the uh, the audience will – I suppose they'll throw in their two cents or hopefully more cents <laughs> <laughs> to be able to push that maybe in a Kickstarter after the first film comes up and uh, and say what they want. Do they want a series? Do they want you to do another fan film? Yeah. Um, it looks like it's going to be great, and, and I really hope that, uh, that the audience just gives it all the love that it deserves.
0: I want to take a moment. So the Kickstarter that starts on March 1st, that is to fund the Prelude to Axonar.
1: Right. That's a, uh, ten, I, I, we're, I think we're saying our goal at $10,000 to raise $15,000. Uh, f- for fifteen grand, we will be able to fund Prelude to Axanar. Um okay. And then we'll come back a couple months later once we've gotten Prelude posted and up that will be the lead-in to our uh, full Kickstarter for Axanar, which we'll be seeking somewhere between one hundred fifty dollars and $250,000 on. And, but I think at that point, after everyone's seen Prelude, that will be an easy target to hit.
0: Now, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, Kickstarter perks for uh, those people that are interested in contributing to the Prelude?
1: Oh, yeah, I, I, I'd be happy to. Um we give things away like yes you can get a pdf copy of the script um... you can get uh, 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 an illustrated uh... script where we're going to put together almost like a making of uh... uh a, a book and put that on a pdf um, we're giving away the patch uh... We, we we actually made copies of our patch um... because in in Axanar you you have this starfleet chevron and you have a ship patch so you know, people always say, Oh, every ship had its own patch. Well, not necessarily, because in court martial, they all wore the Starfleet chevron. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we kind of have both. But we have this ship patch, which is on our Facebook page. And people were like, When can I get one? When can I get one? So, you, you, you know, that's in the Kickstarter. You want one of the patches. You, can, you know, and what we try and do is at every level, the levels like 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. 35, 50, 75, 100. And we're not even asking for more than 100 in this Kickstarter because we don't want more than that. We want you to save your money for the big Kickstarter. We give you great things and then every other level, you get everything from the lower levels as well. Um, we, we think that's, that's you know, really important. So You get a ton of stuff and then you can get a copy of the soundtrack um, by Alex Bornstein who's a brilliant composer. Um, here's how brilliant this guy is. First of all, all that music you hear on our Kickstarter video, original composition for Axnar by Alex Bornstein. Wow. Um, and it is amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, so you can get a copy of the soundtrack. Uh, Alex, just to give you his his pedigree for anyone who knows anything about uh, movie and TV soundtracks, his first job in LA when he got out of uh, NYU uh, was working for Bear McCreary. Uh, and Ooh, that yeah was his job. His second job was working for Hans Zimmer, oh, and wow. uh, so so this guy has <laughs> serious chops, and it, it is the it is hands down the best music of any kind of fan film out you know period. It's just spectacular. So you well, can Mc- get that.
4: McCreary's got my heart for sure for uh, everything from um, G Battlestar Galactica to uh, Eureka, and then the latest. Uh, movie that was released that i worked on which was nights of badassdom and both mccreary and uh i think it's his son uh, also got credit on there as taking care of the rock and roll and the the background music on that wow yeah i saw two mccreary's listed so i figured it's got to be a son or
1: something <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's amazing he he really is amazing, and oh, that's um,
4: rad. That's that's so cool to get that composer Alex, and uh, and and really it, it shines in that teaser. The the teaser we just saw it's it's great.
1: So you know, so that's one. Or you get a DVD, or you can get a Blu Ray, um, or you can get. We actually have Juan Ortiz, who does all those great uh, Star Trek posters that you that that people have seen those kind no, of retro kidding. Star Trek posters. He is doing a poster exclusively for Prelude to Axanar. Wow. Wow. Uh, <laughs> And that, so if you give us, I believe it's $75, you get a copy of the, uh, of that poster, um, 11 by 17. We roll it up, put it in a tube, send it off to you with everything else. So, um, nice. uh, so yeah. And then, uh, and then for a hundred dollars, you get a USS Aries, uh, t-shirt as well. Um, so, uh, and, and remember everyone's cumulative. So if you want it all, Give us hundred bucks, <laughs> if, right, right, if, if, but if you're happy with getting, you know, the script and and access to all the little digital goodies we have, just give us ten bucks. Um, if you want the, you know, the digital download, you give us fifteen. It goes up it, like that. So I've tried to segment it because I know the sweet spot is always twenty to thirty dollars. So mm. that's where we try and give you the, the you know, the, the most stuff, the most bang for the buck, and uh, make it really, um, uh, re- really uh, worthwhile for everyone.
0: He does cool. such amazing retro style art. I was just thinking how awesome would it be if there was a bit of a, a viral marketing campaign of join Starfleet. They need you for the, the, great, the great Klingon war. And, and people, it just sparked interest because what is this? What Klingon war? I, I, I want to join Starfleet and help. You know, And you <laughs> have his art going around in and, and some little marketing campaign. That would, that would be cool. Um, but what I, I want to ask is uh, with the Kickstarter, with this first one, where if you don't mind answering where is the money going to go in terms of developing the prelude what what can what will we expect to see uh in the prelude that this money is contributing to
1: that and that's great that's a great question to ask because listen i think one of the challenges with kit that Kickstarter is facing is is accountability for where money is spent right mm-hmm. um I, I know there's some issues with a couple of kick- sci-fi kickstarters in the past where everyone was like well they haven't done anything where's the money going yeah that's a good point so the reason we the, – the 15,000 is pretty easy. Uh, of the 15,000, um, 5,000 of that is going towards uh, the makeup, development of the makeup. Believe it or not, it costs a lot to, to sculpt and mold a Klingon forehead and then the hair is ridiculous. And what we've got to do is we've basically got to create Karn from scratch for this little video because we've got to create the makeup he's going to use in Axanar as well. So we can't wait till we get the the big dollars in action. Or we got to do it now. So five thousand dollars set aside for makeup and 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 Vulcan for Gary Graham as Saval, um, and yeah, and I'll take all of that up. Um, another five thousand for the visual effects because there's a lot of visual effects. There's a lot that has to be filled in here. Where um, and that's all Tobias Richter and his team. So five thousand, and then the other five thousand is flying. You know, uh, flying people in for this, the camera, the the you know lighting craft services the, the the works so it's it's pretty we're we're being very economical and we're being very uh, practical about where we spend the money but every dollar that's donated uh, over those fifteen thousand will be you know put right into making Prelude tax on And
4: seeing that breakdown is great because a lot of people don't really know what it takes um, you know from the minimums to the maximums, uh, and I can tell it, none of that's wasted because that's uh, that's that's. Yeah, 5k for makeup, 5k for VFX, 5k for transportation and camera and craft, and oh my gosh, does that money just go? That's just that. That's done. Oh, yeah. um, it's a two-day so, shoot. Yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. maximizing. Yeah. That, that's yeah. great.
1: We're gonna shoot it all in two days, um, uh, too. So we're yeah, we're trying to be, we're trying to be very uh, very smart with our money. Uh, I mean, I've already put ten thousand dollars of my own money in this, and I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll wind up putting more, um, but. Uh, it's um yeah that's 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 where it goes another cool thing i'll tell you about is um uh i live in la and uh i i live a mile away from richard hatch he just moved down he used to live up in valencia he just moved down and i take his acting class on tuesdays um right near right nearby on the street he lives on there's a little theater and uh every tuesday we go there and, and work and christian Gossett, my director is now taking that class as well which is awesome and uh Richard said to you know we we've talked with Richard and he said he said you need to start doing action art stuff in class, and so we're actually bringing in a couple of the actors we're actually going to do auditions uh, uh, here soon and then um, some of the actors are going to come in and actually work in class with us. Um, That's great. And do scenes f- for Richard. Uh, and, and Richard is an amazing acting coach. I mean, I studied at the Howard Fine Studio for a year and a half, and, and Howard and his team are one of the top three uh, in town. Um, but then I started working with with Richard, and my work went to a uh, totally another level. So it's going to be fun, uh, you know, because Christian, the director, can see us do work in class, and Richard and I can work in class because we've got you know at least one scene together in Axenor, and. And then, you know, so it's it's um, that's a lot of fun. I wish I lived in L.A. I wish you did, too. <laughs> I,
4: I've seen you uh, promote Richard's classes online, and I'm definitely tempted being somebody who lives in California. So anybody listening who lives in California, I totally encourage you to check this out. So now when it comes to unofficial projects. Um, so in this case, films not officially produced by CBS. Star Trek fans opinions can be divided and some absolutely will adore these fan films and some, others really hesitate to watch them, um, won't, won't give them a chance. What would you say to the diehard canon followers about Star Trek X and R?
1: You know, I, I kind of say that there's, that there's different levels of Star Trek fan film and, um, and they're all wonderful in their own way. Um, listen, until James Cawley offered me the role of garth in 2010 i never watched star trek fan films i just i, I just didn't watch them I, I they it didn't interest me um and then he offers me the role. i got to see what i'm getting myself into so i started watching um and i i, I think it's very personal there are some fan films that really are basically home movies right they you and your buddies get together and throw on what passes for uniforms in a set you built in your garage and you know what god bless you and that's that's awesome and uh i, I uh, uh uh i applaud you and but you know what most of us probably don't want to watch it that doesn't dem- diminish it at all because you've gone out and you've done something special you've made it your own star trek um And I kind of call, you know, those are kind of like home movies. And then there's the fan films, the true fan films, Star Trek Phase Two, which just celebrated its 10th birthday. It's the really the granddaddy of of Star Trek fan films, along with Star Trek with Starship Farragut, um, which I would recommend you watch. The second episode of Star uh, of Farragut, um, the Tessorian Intersection. They're about to finish it. The fourth act has been out for uh, has been unfinished for eight years now, but they're about to. uh, they're about to to, uh, to to put it out. And those films, and they range, you know, there's some episodes of, uh, of of phase two that are weak. There's some that are like, you know, World Enough in Time with George Takei. They're amazing. You know, the, arguably the best fan film of all time, uh, Star Trek fan film, is, is World Enough in Time, because I had a lot of Hollywood pros involved with that one. So that is amazing. Um, and, and And they're all in between. But I think there's a level that's you know, that Star Trek Phase Two, Star Trek Continues, Starship Farragut, uh, Starship Exeter. And they're watchable. They're good. They're watchable. Um, you take them for what – it appeals to some people. Some people it doesn't and to each his own. You know, I, I fully understand both sides of that, that story. Some people love them. Some people uh, – it's not Kirk, Spock and McCoy. I don't want to watch it. You know, it's not the original series. And then I think – now I think there's a new generation and that's – Renegades is the first one. And I think we're the second one um, mm-hmm. who are trying to be something more that we're trying not to be a fan film. We're trying to be an independent production that 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 has a, a budget over a quarter million dollars that looks shot like a, a, a film you'd see nowadays that has, you know, top notch actors in it and top notch production values. And, um, you know, we haven't. Sh- listen, we haven't shot our, our outside of our Kickstarter video we haven't shot anything so I can't say anything about how well we'll do renegades put out their their um, their teaser trailer and it looks good it looks really good and Tristan Bernard who is a DP on renegades who you know Adrian he's he wanted to, to be the DP for axonar and I said look I've already got a guy who's won three Emmy Awards as DP of axonar the job's filled and and Tristan to his credit said to me well can I be his camera operator and I said, yeah. well, "You do that?" And He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "Anything to be on your project?" I said, "Well, let me ask him." And I called Mario up, and Mario said, "I'd love him." So I said, "Chris Tristan, you're in." So, um, you know, it, it's it's great to have him because Renegades looks great. I mean, that trailer looks awesome. So, we'll, we, you know, we'll see. But hopefully, this is the the beginning of a new era um, for Star Trek films. Mm-hmm. And on the on the fan film front, you know, Star Trek continues has raised the bar for Star Trek Phase Two. There's some somewhat healthy competition between those two, shall we say? And
4: uh and it's and, the same family. We we all love each other. We it's our passion. It's shared and uh and I think maybe that's what unites or say I, I think that's the selling point for those diehard canon followers is what's the core of, of what made them become so diehard. Uh and that was passion and yes. and that shared dream. And I think that's what Axanar and Renegades and uh and many of us are are all united on.
1: Yes, and I've gotten so much positive feedback on the fact that we are busting our ass to stay in, in, in canon. People love that. And it's really bo- blown me away. Um, Rob, Rob Burnett, who you know from the, the writer-director of Free Enterprise, who's also the producer of all the Star Trek Blu-rays, all the Enterprise and Next Generation Blu-rays for CBS. He produces all of them, all the extra mm. features, oh, the whole nine yards. Um, he's, he, he, saw, he read um, Axanar, and he's, he's joined us as he's going to edit Axanar. And, um, and he said, the first time he read the script, he said, Alec, this is Star Trek. He says, this, is, this reads like canon. It reads like a Star Trek story. I fully expect this to come out of CBS. He says, so, um, and that's, a, we've heard that over and over. People just say, wow, I love that you're sticking so true to what we all love about TOS. The
0: other thing, Definitely. too, is that, you know, with projects like Continues and Phase 2, some fans find it hard to remove the characters, right? They expect Shatner is Kirk and, and uh, Leonard Nimoy is Spock. So to ask diehard canon followers to uh, watch a film that, that is, not, is, is Kirk and Spock but is not Shatner and is not Nimoy is, is very difficult, right? Here we have a story that is still in the prime universe, but are, is about something that, that, that is unique to the universe, something that we have not yet explored before, but a pivotal moment in the lore, right? The, the Great War. Um, and, we're, and although it may not be Kirk, although it may not be Spock, it's somebody that was spotlighted in the original series somebody that we can remember saying oh yes that i remember that episode as a matter of fact yeah i would really love to know what what happened with uh with garth and and you see that's where i think that you have such a remarkable story and you know one thing i keep thinking about you you tell you you say this that it's going to be this war story i want to ask are we going to see boots on the ground
1: so yes (laughs) okay (laughs) what i mean
0: by that is is like you know one thing i've always wanted to see is kind of a a, um like, for instance, let's look at Deep Space Nine. You know, one of the greatest episodes was, uh, um, oh, my goodness. Siege of that... AR-559. Yes, yes. Where we had this, this, this taste of the battle, the Great Dominion War, and soldiers on the ground. D- do you have that intent to, to take Axanar a little bit in that direction, if not for just a moment?
1: Yes, there is a pivotal, uh, land, there's a landing party scene okay. um, where Garth and Karn face off. And, and it's um, – and if anyone knows – has seen Ice Station Zebra, it's a lot like that. Okay. Um, Ice Station Zebra is one of the great m- man movies of all time I will say. And uh, so you should go out and watch that because it's, it's got Rock Hudson and Patrick McGowan and Jim Brown and Ernest Borgnine and it's brilliant. And um, so we've always had that confrontation. That confrontation happens in act uh, – in act – one or two, I forget now. Uh, so yes, you see that. The, the, in the teaser, you see uh, the Klingons have conquered a city and you'll see that. Um, so you do see some of that. And, um, and, and that's, we think that's important, right? Because it's not all a space battle. Yeah, there's some confrontations happening. Um, and the other thing you'll see, I'll, I'll give you guys a little taste, a little insight, is um, you know I said before, there's no red on our bridge. Well, there's no red in our uniforms either. Um, because if you know Star Trek from where No Man has Gone before and before that the cage, there were no red uniforms. okay It was all gold or, or tan or blue. Um, there were no red shirts and uh, there are no red shirts in axonar. And what one of the things we did was we said, well, there's no red shirts in a, not just in color that meaning because I said, well who who are? Our, troops who are there are there marines are there who are there who is fighting this battle when garth beams down to the planet who's going in front of them right who's going down there to make sure the place is safe and um so we came out and we said you know they're badasses they're they're like navy seals that's who's going down there there's no this is war again all those red shirts died in year one you know, those, there are all those. You know, the, the 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 lightweights. This is war, and the guys who are on the ship fighting the foot battles are big and buff and nasty. They are Marines. They are SEALs. They are Special Forces. That's who is. So yeah, we've given a lot of thought to what does that look like. What what you know? And there will be a uh, there's a conference and there's a confrontation, and you'll see you know them going. You'll see the we. Uh, you'll see them. I won't tell you too much. That you'll see them going hand to hand with the Klingons, and it's really cool. It's really cool.
0: That's that's exciting. I mean, that's the type of teaser that is just making me salivate to want to watch. I'm like, oh man, this is the this is the trek that I want to see.
1: Well, good because <laughs> we want to show it to you. <laughs> I mean, I, it's it's taken so much longer than I wanted to to get this, uh, but every time we delay. Things keep coming up, and uh, more and better stuff keeps keeps percolating to the top, and um, you know, and it's fun. It's fun to to, to pursue these stars and get them. And uh, I had Michael Hogan, and I had Lily Bardon who was the uh, the uh, uh, lead in Battlestar Galactica: Blood and Chrome. Uh, both t- both have said to me they they both said to me your your enthusiasm is infectious, Alec and that's what i want i want them to understand that this is just not another acting job this is they are going to tell a really great story that that is i think we I, I really our goal is to transcend what it means to be a, a fan film to be an, we don't want to be a fan film we want to be an independent star trek production and we want to produce a blu-ray that is going to some guy in hollywood is going to throw down on someone's desk be it you know, be it J.J. or Steven Spielberg or whoever, or the powers that be at CBS, and say, "You have got to watch this. This is amazing." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Not that they're going to call us up and say we want to buy Axonar. No, hopefully they're going to say, "Hey, you guys know Star Trek. We like you on our team." That's the ultimate goal.
4: Right.
1: That's good. That's a good goal. No,
4: yeah. that's that's absolutely more doable than. Uh, than doing the pitch to CBS, which uh, a lot of people are trying for. Uh, that's incredibly hard, and many do you believe that's impossible? Uh, it's it's really nice to see a fan film, um, or just a really strong production that happens to be set in the Star Trek universe. To uh, to see it just it push forward uh, on its own, knowing that it can hold its own, and that I think that that gives it a lot of um, credibility, a lot of weight, and a lot of people are likely to follow and be inspired by that.
1: We hope. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much. We, uh, we, we we hope so. We think we think so. We, we're doing a great job so far, and uh, it's fun to. I mean, it's geez, it's fun to work with all the great people we're working. I mean, I get together with Christian to do script writing sessions, and we just have a blast. It's so much fun writing this story or in rewriting the story, and then you know, and then you're pitching actors like T- Michael Hogan and and JG Hertzler and Gary Graham. I, I mean, I had drinks with Gary Graham. So, this, I mean, this is, you know, I have to go to meet Gary Graham. I have to have drinks with him at this local bar and pitch him on why he should be in in, in Axanar. Well, that's kind of scary and that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> so now a lot of people are going to wonder how can they become involved because like Elijah, for example, who lives in New York, he, he's wondering, is there any way that I can help? Is there any way that I can somehow put my fingers on this lovely endeavor of yours and uh to those fans and uh even to those who are 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 talented in the entertainment industry uh there's a couple ways that i've seen uh, that they can come in that you've you've broadcasted about um one of these it's called the Axinar marines and i believe i'm i believe that's what they're called the Axinar marines so tell us a little bit about that
1: So right. So um I mean there's two ways to get involved. One, if you have some sort of production experience and you want to be part and you live in LA, although we have some people who don't live in LA, uh, and you want to contribute, you send me a message, you say, I am, you know, I've been a gaffer for the past twenty years and I'd love to be part of your project. Oh, that great. We you know, we love talking to those people. Um but for the average person who either doesn't live in LA or doesn't have production experience who wants to be part? Yes, that's where the Axonar Marines come in. Um, what's called a street team—S T um, R E E T—a street, street team—and and that is your marketing group. Those are the people who are pounding the pavement, saying, "Hey, Axonar is great. You need to watch it. Here's what we're doing. Here's all the great people involved. Um, and and we have, gosh, we have over hundred people on uh, on the uh, Marines right now. And uh, and basically, all you, the only requirement is and and is that you want to help promote Axonar. That's it. You love it. You think it's cool, and it's as simple as the. I mean, the basic requirement is that you go on and you share our posts and you chat it up and let people know about it. We will be at a lot of conventions this coming year. Um, uh, we hopefully we're going to get a panel at WonderCon and San Diego, DragonCon, Las Vegas, Star Trek, of course, um, and others. Uh, so we'll need people at, at you know at at the conventions we go to to have, man the booth. Uh, hand out flyers and such. Uh, we'll send people to other conventions and, and such. So there's lots of ways to help. Um, and it is all how much you want to give. If you want to get really involved, I have one friend of mine who I knew from Prop Collecting who who signed on and all of a sudden he's he's collating the, the, the list and he's doing this and doing that because he really loves it and he really gets involved. Some people just want to come on and share our posts every day and, and talk it up and whatever. So look up and Our Marines on Facebook. Join and, you know, we'll put you to work. Excellent.
0: That's exciting. I mean, you know, who better to spread the word than than passionate Star Trek fans uh, that not only appreciate the, the franchise and the genre and the lore, but are also on board with your project. I mean, that, that find that share that same passion for the story that you want to tell.
1: Yeah, because, listen, we're all Star Trek fans, mm-hmm. right? As I've said before, listen, y- you guys do a podcast I don't do a podcast. I'm, I love the fact that you guys do a podcast. How cool is that? I can listen to Star Trek. You guys talk Star Trek all the time. Oh, I happen to be doing a fan film. We all have things we do, you know, and even if it's just we like talking about Star Trek. Um, I have a, a good friend, Michael Nguyen, who who uh, runs these away missions in New York and now L.A. where he gets people together to go out drinking at a bar in Star Trek costume. That's, That's I'm, great. Uh, I'm like, you go to I'm bars? Sorry, what, like, in not New York French, City? But- He's like, yeah, we just go to bars and drink in Star Trek costume. I'm like, how cool is that? That you, you know, that you know, you're so ballsy. Just like, hey, screw everyone. I'm in a Star Trek costume. So I think we're all Star Trek fans. We all have our, our our the things we love doing and the things we're good at. And some some of us are single with no kids, like me, and you can afford the time and 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 energy to uh, do a fan film. Some people <laughs> just want to be involved on some level. And I'm like, good, come on board, be involved with us. We love, we, we all love Star Trek. We all, you know, talk about it. So yeah, it's, it's, it's fun that, that we can all be inclusive. And I, you know, and I produce, I'm a producer on Star Trek phase two. Todd Habakorn who plays Spock on Star Trek Continues is a good friend of mine. I, you know, I, I know the guys who do Farragut. I know the guys, you know, some of the guys who do Exeter I, and I love it all. It's, it's, it's great. So let's, I, I help. I even started a group for Star Trek filmmakers on, on Facebook just to help each other out. Um, I got to send some of the distress costumes that came from the Star Trek experience that we had in the Star Trek archive at CBS. I sent them over to um, Nick Cook, who does Star Trek Intrepid over in Scotland. I said, "I said you need these. They're they're distressed, but they're your style uniform." And I, I said, oh, there was there's half a dozen dozen uniforms. I just sent them over. Why not help each other? I think it's cool.
4: That's wonderful, yeah. You know, and, and on the, the passion and the, the fun stuff, I've got to ask you, so what's your favorite race or character in Star Trek? Since we're talking about uh, everybody connecting on the fan side, it's, it's just, i got to know.
1: <laughs> well, uh, okay, obviously, outside of Garth, my favorite character is Garrick from Deep Space Nine. Oh, yes. Wow, oh, good Bro- choice. Just yeah, a good brill- brilliantly written, brilliantly performed by Andrew Robinson. Absolutely some of the best lines ever in Star Trek were written for that guy. And I just, I, I love that. I have two of his costumes because, you know, I collect Star Trek screen-used costumes. Yeah, I have two nice. of his costumes, include, one is his Cardassian armor. Um, I've got, you know, things like his tailoring tool. I just love that character. And so, um, and Deep Space Nine is my favorite. I mean, you know, I TOS is TOS. I just don't think you can, I, it's not even worth if you if you say if i say what's your favorite star trek you say tos i'm like yeah it's everyone's favorite star right trek. <laughs> after tos what's you, you know and for me it's deep space nine i just think it's brilliant um of course ron moore who goes on to do Battlestar galactica and uh as far as race i love andorians mm-hmm. and um and i will tell you that we got um I was oh, – it was a funny story. I'm at the International Makeup and, uh, Artist Trade Show uh, a month ago in Pasadena. It happens once a year in Pasadena. And I go there because I'm going to – I met this one makeup artist from Star Trek, Brad, Brad Look. And I was going to meet him. So I'm standing watching some guy book make elf makeup on some girl and I, turn, and I turn to my left. You know how you know when someone appro- is approaching you? And I turn to my left and I swear two feet away from me is Michael Westmore. And being the New Yorker I am, I start talking to him. That's <laughs> and, exciting. That's exciting. And I just tell him about Axonar, and he goes, "Oh yeah," he sa- He goes, "Wow, that's really interesting." He goes, "Okay, you need to talk," and he starts pointing me to who I need to talk to. And one was Alan A. Pone, who runs Makeup Effects Lab in Hollywood, um, and and they all did, and they did a lot of the makeup on Star Trek. So we're in a meeting. So I'm, a week later, I'm in a meeting with Alan A. Pone and Brad Look, who did who did Gary Graham's makeup as Saval in Enterprise, and did a bunch of other things. Uh, Kevin Haney, who worked on Star Trek, um, Paul Allen's partner, who did all the Andorian antennas and makeup for for Enterprise. Th- these are the people we're working with, you know. And and I I say that because Paul's like, oh yeah, I did all the mechanical. You want mechanical antennas for your Andorians? I'm like, what? Yeah, of course I want them. <laughs> so um uh, so we're not going to have just you know the TOS style sticking out of your hair. Uh, uh, antennas. We're going to have, like, the full moving antennas. Oh, and I say that because we have an all-Andorian crew on one of the ships. Oh, wow. Oh, very cool. Well, we posit that um, we posit that there's a, you know, you know there was an all-Vulcan crew on the Intrepid, which was destroyed in the Immunity Syndrome. So my, and, and we know that there's something unique about Spock serving on the Enterprise. He's the only alien on the Enterprise. So my I posit simply that at this point in the development of the Federation, crews aren't integrated. You know, we know there's a 20 years later, there's an all Vulcan ship. That is
4: totally possible. That's such a great idea.
1: So why aren't they integrated? And we tell you and in prelude to Axanar, it's great. We tell you why that's an advantage. Um, and I'm not going to tell you what, 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 it is, but the, the admiral has these, it, it was, I read it and I go, Oh my God, that's brilliant. Who, Oh, I wrote that. That's really brilliant. Um, <laughs> but I will tell you, there's a reason that they're not integrated. Um, and there's a reason that that works in the favor of the Federation. So I'm going to, we're going to see in the battle of Axar, you are going to see an all Andorian crew on the bridge of one of the ships. That's so cool.
4: Oh, I know a lot of people who are really excited to hear that. They're big Andorian fans.
1: I was
0: going to say, Alec, we want to take this opportunity to, to open up the mic one last time. And, and, and is there anything else that we may have not touched on that you wanted to let the fans know about Star Trek Axanar?
1: I'll just say that there's something for every Star Trek fan in, in Axanar. I think the fact that I have so many, you know, really wonderful Star Trek people like David Gerald and Rob Burnett say this is Star Trek, I, I that makes my heart feel more all warm and tingly um, that's what I want to do. Um, yes it's a war story and um, but we're, we're telling it with heart and with great characters' You're, I, you know if we do a series it's going to be because people love these characters so much and want to see more they want to see more Garth his, his first officer uh, Tanaka is just really interesting. Uh, he's got great, strong females around him. For you, women, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the, the the of the four main crew there on on the Aries, two are women, and they're ass kickers. Um, and Excellent. I, and uh, yeah, we. As a matter of fact, I'm trying to get Kate Vernon to do. I've written a role for Kate Vernon. Kate Vernon, who was Ellen Ty, uh, Colonel Ty's wife on on the New Battlestar Galactica. She's a great actress, and. Um, We saw her at WonderCon last year, and Christian and I were like, she needs to be in this script. And so she plays the part of this just over-the-top, General Patton-style Starship captain. Uh, and, uh, and she, it's a real interesting role because uh, she's, she's very different than the rest of the captains and there's a reason why and it plays into what Garth uses her for in the battle and it's, uh, and it's cool so yeah so we have great characters and I think uh, if you follow us on Facebook you can engage us listen I answer all the questions on Facebook um, so it, it's, it's not like I've got a Facebook person who's running that it's me posting every day, answering your questions. You can message me. You can hit me up. Go to our website, startrekaxenar.com. We have great you know blog articles there. We have a Geek FAQ. So if you're going to ask me, why does your deflector look like that? Or why are you using a patch, the Chevron, instead of a ship? Pack? Go to the Geek FAQ. We answer all those questions there. Um, and I'll always engage fans because I love talking Star Trek.
4: That's great. Thank you so much. And also uh, add on the woman thing, because I am a woman, I really appreciate you putting stronger roles and, uh, and and a variety of, you know, both men and women who are in uh, prominent roles in the Federation or just, you know, in general, because it doesn't have to be just humans and Vulcans and Andorians. But anywhere you throw them, it's good for me because I see a lot of productions, um, JJ and such, uh, <laughs> I don't see enough females and I know that they're there. Where are they hiding? I don't know. So thank you.
1: Well, and you also have to consider that it's 2014 and look where women are in society now and where they've come in 50 years since the beginnings of Star Trek and where they're going to be 200 years from now, right? 230 you, years yeah. from now. Axon takes place 230 years from now. Well, you, you cannot tell me that women are equally are, – at that time are not as equally prominent as men in Starfleet.
4: Yeah, and I would love to see that. So I, I look forward to, to seeing your production and seeing all the women –
1: Go, well, <laughs> well.
4: <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people look forward to seeing all the women. Uh, so yes, but thank you so much for uh, for your time with us and uh, don't any donate, details.
1: Go and- donate on our Kickstarter, please. Uh, Star Trek Axnar on Kickstarter, and ten dollars is the minimum amount. Whatever you want to give, but please donate and help us make Prelude to XNR and show you just how amazing we really are.
4: Definitely and-
0: check out the Prelude. Captains, we want to uh, remind you how you can follow Star Trek Axonar. First, the primary website, com, or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Star Trek Axonar. Uh, you also have a Twitter page, twitter.com forward slash Star Trek Axonar get involved spread the word uh and uh, and be sure to support it do a kickstarter search for star trek axonar as of march 1st again alec thank you so very much for spending some time with us sharing your passion which is indeed infectious uh i cannot wait to see prelude uh, to star trek axonar and the success of this independent film project
1: thanks so much greatly appreciate it let's check out what happened
0: in star trek online news Computer
2: status
3: report. Status. Incoming message.
2: I'm only in the mood for good news today. In her February 17th Captain's Log article, Terry Lynn Sho expresses her own frustrations and the general frustrations from the community about the inventory system in Star Trek Online. She points out how the new ship swapping system, which allows players to instantly switch ships in public zones on demand, can wreak a little havoc on players' inventory. The reason is because items on your ship that aren't being used in your second or third loadouts can get dumped into your inventory when you trigger the ship swap. And since the system isn't directly linked to your personal or account bank, it'll quickly fill your inventory. But here's where Cryptic comes swooping in with a quick fix.
3: Storage slot increase and the peasants cheered. We all get 18 main inventory slots free. We all get 12 bank slots free. We can now purchase 12 inventory slots six times instead of three. We can now purchase 12 bank slots 12 times instead of four. So that increases our max inventory size by 54 and our max bank size by 108. Presumably this is part of the database improvements we've been seeing recently as you guys have previously discussed.
0: Now, here's my question though. So, what what are your thoughts on the slots though? Does this remedy the issue at hand or is the is the problem more systemic?
2: Oh, I love the slots. I'm a big fan of the slots. I can't get enough of the slots. I just I just love them.
0: <laughs> well, do you want more inventory? Have you ever found yourself cookie wanting more inventory and more places to put oh, your yes. stuff? Do you ever find that you run out oh, of Oh, yes, places? every
2: day. Every day, especially if I'm doing like um if I'm traveling and getting like to lithium runs, I gotta stop and get it organized, and then I can continue. This way, I don't have to stop. I can just keep going until I feel like I want to stop. But um, yeah, I've just always just dealt with it, just because I just, that's that's the way it is. So it's like they're so nice to give us more. They're just so nice. I think it's just really nice.
0: You know what I would really like to see is is tabbed inventory on your own personal account like you would in the fleet bank right the fleet bank has several tabs that you can use at your discretion uh you know tier one tier two tier three i would just like that type of organization right i would love to have a tab that's just for my ship equipment and another tab that's just for consumables and and pets Mm -hmm. maybe and another tab for miscellaneous right that way that way i can help organize it better myself instead of having just this massive grid on my screen, taking up precious screen real estate.
2: Yes. I'm an organizer, so that would be awesome. If I, if we could organize it like that and have tabs, I read that in that article that, or that blog, that that was a suggestion and that would be so nice. I would have one for pets and everything else.
3: I like that. I also think, <laughs> uh, I think currently, uh, When you're in your personal bank, you can tab to your account bank, but you can't tab back. You have to close it and reopen the bank, Hmm. uh, if I recall correctly. I do think that the examples in the article are a bit extreme. Um, I mean, I I don't know about anybody else, and maybe it's just a holdover from my days in uh, World of Warcraft, but uh, a lot of that stuff that she showed in her overly cluttered inventory was not bound to character, in which case, a lot of times, I might create a bank alt. That's just a low-level character, high enough level to get to the star base, to maybe hold. Um,
2: oh yeah. Yeah, da- data, data, traces.
3: Data, data traces, all all that sort of stuff.
2: I never hang on to those because I don't have room for them. I don't know what to do with them. I don't even go over and get them.
0: Now, what Jace, you bring up a good point. When you were playing things like World, uh, a game like World of Warcraft, I remember you and I had a, a discussion off the mic about. Uh, inventories in other mmos right? this is not just a, a star trek online issue it's something that players experience in many mmos it's very seldom that you find a game that handles inventory well or can handle it well right because it's, let's be honest it's a massive database hog so it's going to take a lot to be able to organize and manage uh the way the player may want it organized and managed what have your experiences been um Let's say, for instance, World of Warcraft.
3: my goodness. Yeah, it was absolutely a challenge in World of Warcraft. Um, A big thing that we have, uh, a big advantage that STO has is that we actually have the tailor and costumes we can set, where back when I played World of Warcraft, your appearance in-game was totally dependent on what gear you had equipped. So if you wanted other outfits, you had to have every piece of that gear in your inventory to switch in and out. And people created mods to to rapidly switch where that's all built into STO because, you know, MMO technology has improved over the years. And I know WoW has remedied some of those things, although I'm not really familiar with the current state of the art in WoW. But, gosh, uh, one of my dear friends uh, from World of Warcraft was just constantly overflowing due to being a bit of a uh, fashion aficionado. Jeez, you say that better than (laughs) me.
2: Now say Playa Escondida. See how that sounds.
3: Playa Escondida. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um.
0: You know the the I, I really wish that. Well, here's the thing, though. It, it, Star Trek Online has a lot of items, right? You've got you've got sh- your ship, all your ship equipment, right? And there's there's several for for your ship. You have hundreds of consoles, hundreds of you know weapon loadouts and combinations that you can have then you've got your ground then you've got there's just so much there's so many consumables i i really would love to see the ability for players to be able to organize it themselves to be able to have control of over the organization of star trek online loot yeah
2: and honestly i use ships that i don't use (laughs) i use the ships for storage since I don't have enough. Sometimes I
0: find oh, myself doing true. that too. Very yeah, true. I'll use some of the ships for for storage. And you mentioned it in Terry Lynn's article. You know, the, I think that the, the her, her argument was that uh, when doing the ship swap, right? If take take my play style for instance, I typically will have had the same equipment for all my ships. Right, a majority of my ships, because I do a lot of PVE, and it's very seldom that you really need to change things up for PVE. So when I was switching between my Mobius and uh, and the Fleet Advanced Escort, I was using the same weapons. It was the the dual heavies in the front and and the kinetic beam, the omnidirectional beams in the back with a turret. You know, th- these were things that migrated with my ships. So when I did a swap. I didn't find the issue that she was describing, which was if I switch to, let's say, a boat that is a beam boat, the inventory, the cannons on my escort will have been automatically put into my inventory and fill up my inventory very quickly. That's what she was describing, which I I don't experience. I think that not many casual players might experience something like that. Now... I'm about to start playing around with cruisers, right? I'm about to start enjoying the game better because of the quick equip and the the saved loadouts. So maybe had I reached that point where I was like, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to switch from my escort DPS to my cruiser and all of a sudden I start noticing all my inventory getting... all my items getting poured into my inventory. I may have noticed that. Uh, Well, you should only see that
3: happening if you switch between two loadouts on the same ship and they have radically different gear equipped when you swap between ships you shouldn't really have that experience
0: ah so it's with it okay i see what you're even saying.
3: then see what you're saying. Uh, she okay. gives sort of the worst case example of if you have you have 23 different equipment slots it varies slightly by ship depending on the number of device slots and total number of weapons but not i i can't imagine many situations where my loadouts would be so different that it would just dump row upon row of items back into my inventory. Normally, it's just some tweaks.
2: To me, this is just like a little side effect to something that's really awesome. So it's like we get to switch ships just whenever we want. And so this is just kind of like a small little thing that might be an irritant to some people. But for the most part, we're just glad that we get to switch ships and we get more slots. My, yeah.
0: My question, and I'm hoping that somebody from Cryptic is listening... Al Rivera and if you can answer if if we can get an answer to this somehow is why what is holding the system back from allowing us to uh, have a tabbed inventory system where like the fleet bank as it is now I'm just curious I'm just you know it's just I would like to have it I'm sure players would love to have that type of organization Uh, is it is the tech not there you know why why not have
2: that captains we want to hear from you What do you think of the increased slots? Does this remedy inventory issues for you? Let us know your ideas in the comment section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode.
0: All right, Captains. The moment many players have been waiting for has finally arrived. Cryptic has had the opportunity to revisit the Galaxy Class Starship. (laughs) The Tier 4 Exploration Cruiser refit the Tier Five Exploration Cruiser Retrofit, and the Three Nacelle Alternate Universe counterpart, the Galaxy Dreadnought Cruiser. Many of you will remember this as having been the first ship available to purchase in the Sea Store. And since then, it's been, well, broken and underpowered. But according to Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, the game's grown. And the addition of new talent to the team has finally granted them the opportunity to revisit the ship and give it some much needed love. Although, having been the first ship introduced to Star Trek Online with saucer separation, the mechanic was broken and clunky. However, new game technology was introduced with the release of the Odyssey class starship, and now the same awesomeness has been applied to the galaxy separation while in motion allowing you to keep your ships geometry and cosmetic look you can even continue to fire while separating they've also given a pass to the ship's overall stats including a new boff seating a hangar bay and the addition of the phaser lance wide beam which has been added to the separated saucer section of the ship now Al Rivera describes this as a sawed-off shotgun damage may be lower but your effect area is much wider according to Tribble at the time of this recording, it's a 25-degree cone out to 5 meters. Now, there are other improvements made to the ship. Make sure to check it out on the official Star Trek online portal on arcgames.com. Now, Jace, you were excited about the announcement of the ship. So what are you looking forward to most, right? Let's let's talk about what was broken and, and, and keeping players from actually flying the ship. I could not
3: be more excited about this. It was my first Zen ship. I even got much of the way through the old recruitment program trying to earn it before that system went away. I followed the teases, the rumors, the tweets for two years, and patience has finally paid off in spades. Cruiser Captains generally compared the Galaxy X to the Fleet Assault Cruiser or the Fleet Advanced Heavy Cruiser. And each of these sports more seating for tactical bridge officer powers and more tact console slots plus a higher turn rate. Not to mention due to there being no fleet version of the Galaxy X. Uh, It has fewer total console slots, 9 versus 10, and no bonus to shields and hull over its base. So Cloak and the Lance make for a nice alpha strike, but those other factors left captains (laughs) with less ability to follow up afterwards. (laughs) Saucer separation alone will increase the turn rate and weapons power, and adding hangar pets plus the set bonus now for the two consoles to the mix should make this ship much more of a contender. I suspect when the dev blog entry on the Fleet Galaxy Dreadnought hits, we may even see a slightly altered BOF setup. So, Jace, what is that two-piece set bonus? The two-piece set bonus for having both the antimatter spread and the saucer separation consoles equipped will give you plus one turn rate, much needed, and plus twenty each to starship hull plating and starship armor reinforcement skills. So, you get a little more speed uh, and some more durability out of it at the same time. So, pretty nice.
0: Now, was the antimatter spread very useful? I know that it was a uh, AOE attack, but I I don't re- I can't recall the last time I've seen that. that Universal I, I think console it's used. mostly
3: used in PvP, where it's sort of a hated tactic if a whole group is using them because uh, of the placate. It has a bit of a cooldown, but people use it in teams occasionally, and it's it's considered a bit obnoxious out there. Okay. One neat thing about this. Um, which I actually wasn't aware of because I never used them together before is that the separated saucer pet will gain the antimatter spread ability.
2: Warning! If you already own any of these Galaxy ships, the Galaxy bundle will not be available for purchase.
3: Uh, I believe what they're bringing up in chat is that in one of the previous interviews, Al Rivera mentioned that the Fleet Gurumba was basically ready for purchase. Prime time, but they were waiting on the galaxy x so they could sort of release them together so that sort of suggests we may see another announcement probably i wouldn't be surprised
0: i mean uh i know that when they were teasing this throughout the week uh, i i was teasing them back and saying hey come on i got a show to do post <laughs> these up <laughs> let us know um so i think that on friday february 28th We're going to see another announcement, probably either the fleet, the fleet version of the ship um, or and with it, perhaps even what other ships have been given a Passover. Well, that
3: would make sense. As far as patch notes this week, we've already discussed the major addition of the increased inventory slots. There are a couple of other fixes going in in the tailor for Uh Cation and and Tails were coming out the backs of their EV suits, which, while stylish, probably caused decompression.
0: <laughs>
3: A few other that minor fixes there. Um, also, the anniversary mission A Step Between Stars is now part of the Dyson Solene Sphere tab in the episode list and no longer rewards cumundation marks. The only way to get those cumundation
0: now is for captains to visit the buy store and spend five low-buy for 10 to 20 of those cumendations. And you only have the ability to do that until March 13th.
3: And keep in mind that if you have not already slotted the project, you will not be able to buy cumendation packages. However, you will have the option of buying the Dyson Science Destroyer for 600 low-buy in the low-buy store, and it will permanently be in the low-buy store for 600 low
0: Good lord, that's a lot of
3: money! <laughs> Yeah, it seems all right. They're giving a discount versus the usual because it's not a quote-unquote fleet-grade ship with ten consoles and such, but you do get a unique, very rare-quality item that is part of the set with the consoles from the Zen Store ships, Sea Store ships.
0: They've updated the calendar, too, Yes,
3: indeedy. We have next weekend, bonus experience weekend, and two weeks later, bonus foundry weekend. All skill points and expertise are doubled during bonus experience weekend, and all qualifying foundry missions will give a choice of reputation marks as an additional reward during bonus foundry weekend, which is pretty great.
0: Well, Captains, that wraps up Star Trek Online News for this Message coming
3: in, sir. Hailing frequencies.
0: Open.
1: See, we are getting to know each other.
0: All right, Captains, we have a lot of... Feedback from our community questions on last week's episode 162. Here they are. What are your thoughts on the new Dyson Science Destroyers? Will you be spending your zen on these new ships? And how do you add your own story to the Star Trek Online universe? Is it just through a detailed character description or character bio? Do you roleplay or write your own fiction? Maybe the Foundry.
2: Woody Valley comments via PriorityOnePodcast.com on the Dyson Ship Bundle and says he'd be more inclined to invest in inventory slots and the odd lockbox with those $50. And since he lives in Australia, it'd be more like $60. Woody also shares how he contributes his own story to the STO universe. I made a foundry mission called Floods at Home, Parts 1 and 2. My main character has a cameo in part two asking about the mail service after some major floods. In real life I was waiting for a parcel containing the box disc of STO. I was supposed to get them right around the time the 2001 floods in Queensland, Australia peaked.
0: I've actually had the opportunity of playing this mission even with Woody Valley. They're great missions and and they're a part of himself in these missions because he experienced those 2011 floods in Australia. Woody Valley, we thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One. Keep sipping coffee from that Priority One mug. That's right, captains. We have Priority One mugs. Be sure to visit PriorityOnePodcast.com dot and get your swag by visiting our. I think store. I'm gonna get you one of cool those. Cool
3: stuff on there. You know, there's Priority One boxer shorts on there,
2: and they have maternity clothing too.
0: There are
3: something for everyone. Mm-hmm.
0: In case you want us on your ass or over <laughs> your baby. <laughs>
3: Uh. The Grand Nagus writes and shares some thoughts on the Dyson ship bundle on PriorityOnePodcast.com Visually unfair to KDF and Romulan factions If I knew nothing of the Dyson storyline and saw a picture of the KDF and Romulan ships I would think, why does that Klingon Romulan ship have a fed skin on it? The KDF and Rom factions are completely losing the look of what makes those factions unique IMHO it should look equally foreign for every faction not look like two of the factions have been forced to join the federation.
0: I agree wholeheartedly that these ships they look like the Solanei designed them and said, "Oh, let's make a ship for the factions and and kind of sort of make them look like what they're used to." Uh, the bridge specifically I'm not I'm not a fan Are of Are they the all British the same? Ships. Yeah, they're all the same bridge layout for the ships, but they look like the inside of a Solanei Dyson sphere. Which is, I I don't want to say, I don't want to say cheap, but it definitely does not feel like the Federation, Klingon, and Romulans teamed up to make these ships. It, it seems that, to me, that the A actually made them, uh, with a faction-specific style. Yeah, you
3: know, honestly, even as a uh, a big fan of unique bridges, I love the one on my Tal Shiar adapted battle cruiser, for example. Uh, I would almost rather just have the option to select whichever faction bridge I prefer. Yeah, yeah.
2: Chiu Umiku writes to us on PriorityOnePodcast.com, dot com. I actually enjoy writing role playing style bios, especially since the revamped Betty tutorial.
0: That revamped Federation tutorial really sparked a desire to participate in the in the story a lot more for me i mean i wish that this was something that was available to captains from the start uh it it just it's so immersive the ship interior is so beautiful with the halls uh the corridors overall it's just such an impressive mission it really
3: it really makes you feel like a captain i really need to do that i'm gonna make a science captain i think
0: Oh, dude, if you haven't, but please go and play it. It's so immersive.
3: Coming to us via email to incoming at priority1podcast.com. Starwolf writes, Originally, I did create some bios when I created my Federation and Klingon characters back when Stowe launched. I even got some recognition from a couple of people back then. Unfortunately, the lack of a role-playing atmosphere prevented me from going further than that. Though one of my Klingon bios did inspire me to create a backstory of sorts in my Foundry mission, on the reenactment of the Battle of Klaat, to kill Brocht. <laughs> ah, yes. Now I remember why you gave me that one.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that you know, I I like to see that people do spend a little bit of time fleshing out their their captain bios. Um, you know, I think that it, it it adds a level of of investment into your gameplay, right? If you if you feel connected to your character in some way.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I created a bio for my original character, but never really went further than that, because I never really linked up with any other RPers.
0: Do you have an RP for your character, Cookie?
2: Um, no.
3: Do you have a story for your tune? She's from a long line of bakers.
2: Yeah, I tried to make it look like me, (laughs) but then I decided, you know, I want purple hair. So,
0: Yeah, Yeah, but you can
3: have purple hair.
2: And then I have, like, a little bump in my nose... But they didn't have bumps for the noses. I was like, oh, whatever.
0: On the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode, Ukami87 writes, I would love to make a few missions in the Foundry, but the neglect to the system and pokey updates to it break what few missions I have been able to make despite the unfriendliness of the system every time I turn around. This system needs some major attention and new features, would love to be able to voice over some of my NPCs in my Foundry missions and make cutscenes to a lesser extent of the developers, but don't see that happening with the redheaded stepchild mindset Perfect World, or Cryptic, has over the Foundry in Star mm, Trek Online. Poor
2: redhead stepchildren.
0: I don't play the Foundry, I don't know. What? There's a Foundry? I would like oh, to. Oh, I'm kidding. We've-
3: you guys are brutal.
2: On the Star Trek online forum post for this episode, Puttenham writes, It's hard to kiss STO's butt if you're asking them the questions they don't want asked and stirring the pot. Being friends with a lot of podcasters, when I ask them why they don't bring certain things up, they simply state, because we don't want to lose interviews and exclusives and blah, blah, blah. It's a shame.
0: Okay, excuse me. Did I excuse Did
2: me. I do that Okay.
0: I have to go and get my soapbox. Give me a moment. Now, I can't speak for other podcasters, but I can say this about Priority One Podcast. We do, in fact, present our guests with the hot topics of that particular period of time. For instance... When Al Rivera was on episode 158 and 158.5, the community was enraged with having to earn the free ships instead of receiving them absolutely free. And we brought that to his attention. Sure, there may have been other aspects of Star Trek Online that still enraged community members. But our guests, unfortunately, are not podcasters or hosts of this show. And as such, they don't join us on a weekly basis. We have a finite amount of time with them, and we need to pick and choose carefully how we're going to spend that time. More importantly, we're going to respect their response and not continue to parade them with accusations or one-sided opinions in the hopes that we're going to get them to change their mind or to give us a different answer. We ask, guest, the community is upset about X, Y, and Z. Can you comment on that? And perhaps we will begin a discussion and get an answer that will appease the community and sometimes we will not. But I assure you, we do our best to represent the community and their desires.
3: I didn't hear you step down off the box yet. Are you good? There we go. Just okay, want to I'm make sure. Via the STO forums, Mighty Bob CNC expresses their absolute dislike of the new ArcGames.com portal and writes, Gh, I hate the new Arc Portal. It's so bland and soulless just like the new forum theme. Quite frankly, the design is bad, even amateurish. It is far too cluttered, and it's hard to find information. In fact, I hate it so much that I went out of my way and spent several hours writing client-side scripts for my browser to make it suck less. He goes on to link us to several players that have spent time writing their own themes, and quotes STO forum moderators that are also displeased with the new theme. It's really interesting to see what others have managed to do just to avoid having to use Perfect World's theme. I'm actually kind of curious about that. I'm going to check out some of those links. I don't, I don't I'm totally unfamiliar with scripting my browser.
0: Yeah, it's sad that some players have had to take it upon themselves to reskin their browser just uh, to get through Arc. Um, you know one feature I, I noticed today that I, I sorely miss uh, is when I go to the news, uh, it doesn't in the snippet, right in the, in the snapshot of the home page the blogs don't give you the dates of when they're posted. And that was, a, that was a much welcomed feature because at least I had an idea of how far back I had to go or what, what was going on in the, in the last week. So if you're listening, Perfect World, uh, please add dates back to those little blog summaries on the homepage.
2: Gemut writes via the STO forums My Dyson Science Destroyer is awesome. I don't switch the tactical mode often, but it's nice to have if I need to finish off a target fast. With my current doff slash boff setup, I can stack Gravity Well and Tychon's Rift and run a light ox to bat build effectively. Really liking the ship.
0: What do you think? Do you think the do you think the ox to bat build, Jace, would uh would roll well on the um
3: Well, it definitely can fit. My only concern on that is you're kind of kneecapping the science focus of the ships and so many science powers key off of aux. Um, I think you could do it if you weren't going to just do a sort of a bind to spacebar macro-type build because then you could time your powers for when your aux power was high so that you would get the best effectiveness out of them and then hit aux to bat afterwards, which drains your aux power. But that's... uh, that's very fiddly, and it's already a bit of a fiddly ship with so many gadgets and gizmos on it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I've never done the Ox-to-Bat build, so maybe maybe when I start playing with my, with my cruisers or get myself an engineer, I'll do it.
2: Zender99 writes, Hey, great show as always. So, am I going to get the 9-pack? No, just going to buy the TAC version for my Romulan, as I think it's one of the best-looking Rami ships. I like the ships, but do think it's a waste for the feds. Better Psy and TAC ships exist already. On the other hand, the KDF and Rami's need a dedicated, fast size ship.
3: I totally agree with that. If I, well, I shouldn't say if. When I plop down my Zen, it's gonna be on the Romulan TAC because both my Romulan and my Reman can use it. KDF and FED, I think it's great. And as opposed to the ox to bat, I want to use that universal lieutenant as a tactical.
0: All right, Captains, every week we get new followers, and probably most of them were not sent a legal contractual agreement from our legal department, Tony. Thanks to everyone who jumped on the Priority One social media train, and be sure to retweet and favorite our tweets.
2: Well, that wraps up episode 163 of Priority One Podcast, recorded live on trekradio.net. Remember, we record Thursday nights live on Trek Radio starting at around 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time and 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And you can subscribe by pointing your podcast catcher at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com.
3: We love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show. Submit your responses for our community question in the comment section of, on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode or now. Call us and leave a message. Just visit PriorityOnePodcast.com and find out how.
0: Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. And give us a like. Or Check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One.
3: Priority One is brought to you by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please visit PriorityOnePodcast.com to find out how you can help support the show. And again, a special thanks to everyone who has contributed and continues to do so.
2: And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out.
0: Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Skiffy.
2: To our foundry
0: reviewer, Chivalry Bean. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Skiffy. To our foundry reviewer, Chivalry Bean. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Special thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. And we welcome our new hosts, Cookie Cupcakes and Jace. Be sure to welcome them to the family in this week's feedback. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek Online community, our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert.
2: Shields up.
3: Ready weapons. Engage.
2: Engage. Umiku writes to us on the Priority One dot com. That doesn't make any sense. On okay. Chiyu Umiku writes to us on Priority One Podcast Podcast dot com. Oh my god, I gotta say it again.
0: My immersion it's you know what's so funny
2: immersive. Is um I dreamed about this yesterday night. I dreamed about doing this and I dreamed that Skiffy was talking me through it, but I couldn't turn his voice down. <laughs>
0: wait you wait the the tutorial or the The tutorial
2: and it was skiffy's voice and he was telling me what to do and i could not turn his voice down he just kept talking and i was like oh my god (laughs) and i tried to turn him down i turned him down once and but he was coming out of two other speakers i was like oh my gosh i need to turn him down not that i have anything against skiffy's voice it's very relaxing but in the dream for some reason I just
3: it's outstanding it's amazing so your subconscious finds him very helpful but not all the time <laughs> irritating
0: uh, but...
2: that was not Jace, me so this right? time
0: Jay sounds like he... um, I hope he's
2: alright <laughs> he got emotional okay
0: Jesus, what uh, happened? Woody
3: Valley made me choke on my water in the chat.
0: <laughs> Wait, why? What did he oh, say? smoke?
3: Yeah, he wrote that while oh, Cookie was don't. talking.
2: Oh. What? <laughs> you know there's a delay in the chat. It probably wasn't even about what I was saying.
0: Oh,
3: man. Dude, I heard you choke on that water. Yeah. <laughs> that was magical. Oh, God. <clears throat>
0: <laughs> oh well i'm glad you're you're not lying on the floor um oh that would have been bad that would have been hard to explain yeah. at work
3: <laughs> thank you woody valley for that all right, feedback.
0: Are... <laughs> oh man all right where are we
3: uh i'm up next <clears throat> okay i'll be extra raspy now you should italicize me <laughs> Alrighty.
0: We have a finite amount.
3: Originally, I did create some BIOS when I created.
0: Oh, I should probably write .com. Oh yeah,
3: I like how you capitalize BIOS too. Like I'm hacking the BIOS of some machine.
0: That wasn't me. That wasn't me. That's I just copied. Oh okay. That. That's the only thing of Tony's that I that I gotcha. Did.
3: Originally I did create some bios when I created my Federation and Klingon characters back when Stowe launched. Hold on. <clears throat> you
2: know, whenever so I can cool. get with Tony, I'll I'll totally play his all his
3: Or Skiffy, right? Does
0: have Skiffy have some too? I'm telling you, you're gonna have to take like no, Skiffy doesn't have some, but I'm sure he'd like to
2: I... <laughs> <walk you through> <laughs> No <laughs> In your dream. No, I'm uh.
0: <laughs>
2: I'm planning on doing chivalry beans and I'm planning on doing Tony's.
0: Set aside yeah, some time for Tony's. And don't forget to listen to Guard Frequency. Only on Guard really good. You check it out. Just
2: gonna buy the tack version for my Ram- Romulan. I'm gonna just. Romulan. Romulan. Ramulan. <laughs> just gonna good old buy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say it in a northern accent. Just gonna buy the tack version for my Romulan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> First of all, that's not What
2: was that? What you Northern, say? What accent was that? Where I'm from?
0: Northern, okay, Northern, all right.
2: Okay. <laughs> all right, just checking. Okay. I'm just going to start careful, with just.
0: Careful. We've had we've had letters written.
2: Okay. Just going to buy the tack.
0: James oh. James has absolutely alienated just about every region of the oh, United gosh. States.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: Okay. I'm going to start with the the word just.
0: Nah, New Yorkers St. Well, Romulan, man. Boston. It's a the Romulans. They're gonna <laughs> kick ass. The Romulans. You know the Ramulans. All right, I'm
2: sorry. Just gonna buy the tack.
3: Oh my god. Well, oh, I knew it. Would you just let it me? It's only a matter of time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's only like Cookie, two we're totally sentences. Being okay, hazed. I'm, I'm, it's I'm, only like two sentences long, and I can't even that... get through it. Oh. I'm sorry. Okay. Ready? No. I'm just gonna start. I'm not gonna tell you when. Just gonna buy the tack version for my Romulan as I think it's done of Oh no, I said it wrong. Okay. Just gonna <laughs> Just okay. Just gonna buy the Tack version for my Romulan as I think it's one of the
0: all right, Captains, every week we get new followers, and probably most of them were not sent a legal contractual agreement from our legal Says department, you. Tony. <laughs> 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 that was amazing. That was great. Okay. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay.